Welcome to the Ulster Business Podcast. In this episode, I chat to Darren McDowell of Harbinson Mahon, Joseph Doherty of Regen Waste, and Dr. Ian Smith of Ulster University about all things SME and Harbinson Mahon's own homegrown business list, as well as the challenges facing companies across the sectors. Darren, Joseph, and Ian, welcome to the Ulster Business Podcast. I suppose this is a, an interesting conversation we're going to have. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're looking, I suppose, SMEs, um, either from a individual perspective in the case uh, of Joseph's company uh, and from um, Dr. Ian Smith uh, and Darren McDowell from um, Harpen to Mulholland from the perspective I suppose of of someone who's worked on a list and worked on worked with uh, the list of these companies and working with these companies directly. Um, Darren if we can start with the current landscape economically uh, we're out of COVID um, but we're still dealing with the political gulf around the protocol uh, and while we're back to business, we're, we're facing the highest level of inflation in 40 years and the word recession um, is already being bandied about. But just generally speaking, what are, what are you saying with the businesses and the clients that you're dealing with at the moment? Thanks, John. That, that's a very uh, uplifting start, I think, to your podcast. Yep. That backdrop, <laughs> pretty pretty depressing, all, all in all. But I, I think maybe what we've seen as we reflect over the last number of years is that the government response around the COVID pandemic, although subject to a little bit of criticism necessarily because of how quickly support got out there, financial support got out there, it was good. You know, and I I think it has helped many businesses weather the storm uh, who maybe weren't maybe right in the center of of the storm in terms of hospitality, but wider businesses I think have come out of this reasonably well. But as you say, in the middle of that, then we've, we've now got a, a war in Ukraine leading to massive spikes in food and energy costs and inflation getting out of control. So I think that the coming uh, six months to a year is is going to be more challenging. But I think what we're seeing with our clients, uh, and even in terms of the list that we worked on with, with Ian and Elst University, that the homegrown top 50 list, we're seeing great resilience over this last couple of years coming out of an extremely difficult period in, in world history. Um, so t- to a certain extent, maybe, although I'm not very optimistic by nature, as you maybe know, John, to a certain extent, I, I think that would make me um, see some hope as-, as we as we step into the unknown. And that's before you you put the political background that, that you mentioned there into the mix. But uh, as we reflect back, I think all of us would have been happy to speak in three years ago on a podcast that uh, we were dealing with the unknown of Brexit. And uh, I think that the level and scale of the unknowns at the minute are far outstripping what, what we would have considered three years ago. So I don't know whether that's positive or not, John, but that, that's my initial thoughts. And I suppose, I mean, I suppose that's, that's what it is. I mean, I suppose the case we were looking at, we're discussing it today at, at an event, and the idea was, you know, we, the ramifications without the furlough system or anything similar to it would have been potentially, you know, dramatic. Um, you know, there was all sorts of figures being thrown around as, to what the levels of unemployment could be and now we're at you know technically a technical version of full employment at the moment but there are obviously huge staffing issues across various sectors so it's not entirely clear-cut i suppose it's probably not the outcome post-covid that we thought we would be in as far as the situation goes but um you know i suppose northern Ireland's smes have always been referred to as the backbone um, of our economy uh, and that hasn't really changed 
um, and Harmonds and Mahal has showcased that with its uh, the homegrown list of the top 50 uh, locally owned and family run businesses. Um, Ian, uh, this year you were obviously involved in the list. What sort of companies are making the list this year and why is the SME sector such an important part of um, our economy here? Well, it's vital, uh, part of our economy, vital sector in our economy, and that's why we, um, uh, why Harbinson, in conjunction with us at Ulster University and our Economic Policy Centre, really wanted to highlight uh, the strength, the resilience, and the adaptability of our SME community. It is the backbone of our economy. We are an SME economy, um, and over 99% of our private sector enterprises are uh, small firms. I think... Um, we the list since the last time we run it has seen some changes uh, as you can imagine and uh, as you can anticipate um some technology firms have appeared on the list that weren't there before um but then equally there's some long-standing firms that uh, have have appeared consistently on on, on the list that, that are still there so a bit like uh, small firms um Sometimes, depending on the sector, they they remain and they're resilient. And then, but they believe there's opportunities for innovation and, and growth. I think the challenge we have, and just to pick up on what Darren's point was earlier, and some of the stories being shared, is this idea of cost, cautious optimism. Um, we the continued uncertainty around energy security and SMEs, unfortunately, as we know, um, suffer. Uh, more significantly around the vulnerability of supply chain and still this idea of um, uh, getting access to talent and keeping and retaining talent seems to be the main constraint to growth. Um, whilst our SMEs are fantastic, the majority of nearly 90% of businesses in Northern Ireland are actually micro-sized, i.e. less than 10 employees. Um, so I think that's a key challenge in now that we are emerging post-pandemic, but still in what's effectively almost a pseudo-continued crisis mode, albeit of a, of a different nature. Um, so that's the challenge move, moving forward, getting access to talent, uh, good talent, keeping the talent. Um, and as an SME or even as a, a micro or small firm within that, um, being able to uh, pivot and, and adapt to maintain the high quality talent that they need whenever you've got larger firms um, who are able to um, offer greater remuneration, say, um, and they, because of the move to remote and hybrid working, um, how, how we manage that. And Joseph, um, you're Managing Director of, of Regen Waste and you're all, uh, on obviously on the list this year. Um, you're a business which you know has grown and, and is continuing to grow and has grown obviously over the years. Um, how are things at the moment? How have your plans, uh, generally speaking, and for the new proposed site uh, in URI, for example, been impacted by, I suppose, the last year or two and, and I suppose the current situation that we find ourselves in at the moment? Well, look, um, the, from a COVID point of view, um, waste as an industry was quite resilient. It had to keep moving. And um, I think that that was, that was um, seen throughout all the waste operators um, continuing to operate because waste can become a sanitation issue if not dealt with. And so, first and foremost, waste is important to make sure that it's not causing a problem at the household. But then also, you have the other side of it in the outputs that we create are now a part of the complex supply chain. So, for example, Regen, we're supplying paper to Hudamaki and Lurgan to make egg cartons. So if we weren't delivering that, 
that would end up meaning that Kudamaki weren't able to deliver those egg cartons or they wouldn't be able to deliver those eggs to the shop. So it become that waste become an uh, important part and suppose um, an essential service in two ways. Um, so from a cold point of view, things kept moving and we were surprised that uh, we didn't know what, what was going to come out of the um, COVID. Um, so look, the and then coming up then with the likes of the increased costs, yes, we're getting hit with increased costs and the visit electricity over doubled and I believe has to go higher again, fuel costs, but also you're getting hit with the uh, loss of the exemption on red diesel, which is throwing an extra cost. But on the other side, that extra cost is also leading to big change, big change in technology. So it is an environmental change. And so we um, embrace that. But probably we would have hoped that it would have been in a softer, ratcheted approach rather than direct. So we're seeing a lot of costs coming from a lot of directions, but probably the industry we're in, it has to keep happening. And so I suppose we have to get um, reduced or soften the effect on us in comparison to a lot of industries, maybe don't have the same ability to do that. And does that does the last few months or the few couple of years, I suppose, and the situation with the rising input cost, energy being one of those, and I suppose a slight sort of um, increase in uncertainty in the market generally, does that have any impact on your future growth plans for, say, the new facility or or the like? No, look, we have to keep moving. We have to keep moving on. We think we just have to adjust. Um, we can't allow an increased percentage cost to stop because the industry isn't stopping. Mm-hmm. And then I think you mentioned um, sort of about Stormont and getting back up and running. I hope that they do get up and running at some point because there is legislation coming forward which would drive the industry forward. Mm-hmm. And that's the extent of producer responsibility. And so regardless, the uh, environment isn't waiting. The environment has to keep moving and the investments have to keep moving, and we have to move to a circular economy, and that's through a number of projects that we want to do on the new site, which is making uh, animal bedding from paper, making uh, sodium silicate from glass. So them, all them things have to happen, no matter what, because the people on the other side have, have energy costs, and they're also increasing, so I think we have to adjust and keep moving on. And Darren, uh, the you hosted some of the firms making the list this year at an event recently um, at Ulster University's uh, campus in Jordanstown. What was the response like in general? And you know, the, what was the sense? And the firms you're speaking to are they adopting a positive outlook um, despite past and current headwinds? Yes, I mean, I think it's great being on a call like this. I mean, you listen to Joseph talking about his business there and it, it just it, Joseph it'll make me spring out of this office in, in great form because they 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 the approach you have to business and the enthusiasm to just managing things and getting on with it I think is something we see time and again in working with SMEs ourselves. Uh, and then to answer your question John that that room there was probably somewhere between 15 and 20 of the businesses that were on the of the top 50 list who came to that event. So there was uh, in total 60 or 70 of us in the room. But that that contingent represented, sadly, as a, as a chartered account, I added it up. And that those businesses in the room on that day represented 3,000 employees between them. I mean, that, that is a that is a massive, you know, in any by any other measure, if we had one entity, one business sitting in that room with that many employees, I think even our even our um, busy government might be rapping at the door saying, what can we do to help you? So I think Joseph's, and to answer your question, Joseph's enthusiasm was reflected in that room by a variety of businesses and a variety of sectors. 
and I suppose just generally generally speaking, I suppose and anyone can weigh in here or whatever whatever works for yourselves, but um you know, we we'll we we'll touch on it first, I suppose, but you know what we all obviously voted for um or most of us voted, I suppose. Uh, but we don't have a working government, um, and I haven't heard anything from business other than support for the formation of a of a new fu- uh, fully functioning uh, executive and assembly. Um, so, just you know, if you want to kind of you know take it yourselves, but it, presum- presumably the attitude is, and the attitude I have received across business is that it's time to get on with governing. Yeah, I mean, picking up on Darren and, and Joseph's point. Um, because we are an SME economy and have been, and you know Northern Ireland, as you know, was was slower to get foreign direct investment in. Um, our SMEs have had to learn to get on with it through a wide variety of crises, you know, bombings, world wars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we we bandy resilience about, and resilience comes across a lot. But resilience is a learned uh, behaviour. Uh, be- and in response to external threats, in response to um, being able to adapt and to survive. So our businesses in Northern Ireland, but our SMEs more generally, have shown that ability to get on with it. And um, certainly it would be my view that um, Stormont should get back up and running and should be working for all society and particularly for the for the business sector to ensure that our our, our firms can can grow and can thrive and cr- crucial legislation um, is is put in place to help support that northern ireland um, just to uh, give another um bit of information northern ireland lags behind um the rest of uh, the uk and indeed uh, ireland regions in terms of uh, startup activity and sustained startup activity uh, in in businesses you know so there's one area where a lack of a functioning executive is is actively harming um business startup support so um my encouragement would be to to get storm back up and running as quickly as possible and deal with any issues um whilst that is happening and not as a precondition to it happening I, I i would echo ian's comments there i mean as you say most of the business community we, we just want to see a functioning executive again we're coming off a pandemic with all the problems in the health service cost of living uh, you know some governance around that getting engaged in the process would be welcomed by the business community and i'm sure most of that community would say that no as i said from your perspective joseph you know someone who's running a company and maybe doesn't require a day-to-day uh, or even week-to-week uh, relationship with say ministers or uh, an executive but or, or perhaps you do but what what's your take generally from the frustration point of view Look, I probably, uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, but it, it's that key sort of getting that legislation moving so that it keeps attention within the waste industry to keep developing, to keep them, that new legislation that comes along, extended producer responsibility being one of them, will put more money into the industry and will drive far more uh, efficient resource management of our waste. So that's where we need that happening. Now, it's being led by DEFRA in the UK, so um, in Northern Ireland, it is a devolved matter, but I would hope to see that they're up and running so they don't put a spanner in their works of the, that legislation being brought into place, because that there is um, the green economy happening, and this legislation coming in to make that green economy happen. And are you noticing, or are you predicting that you'll have an issue with, I, mean, I know we've caretaker ministers at the moment, but are you worried yourself from your own perspective of the issue of a lack of a three-year budget um, and the lack of, I suppose, any anyone that's going to be there for any particularly long period of time while you know, we all here deal with our own issues, including, you know, a cost of living crisis. I don't have any direct opinion on that, 
Um, I believe that the caretaker ministers can deal with the legislation that we need. So if they are able to stay in place, but if it passes the six month deadline and there's no minister in place, that could cause a problem at that point. But I'm hoping that I'm hoping either that uh, they do form some government in that time and hopefully uh, it keeps moving on, or it may be legislation that they may allow to happen, even if the stormment isn't formed. I mean, and general, you know, uh, Darren or Ian, if you maybe want to weigh on this one, you know, part of the the issues that we've we've had here from the last sort of flare up in violence, you know, the end of last year, um, a lack of an executive for three years, but in particular that flare up in violence, there was a couple of cases where I was told, you know, there's an FDI who was very very concerned uh, about setting up here and wanted to speak to the minister directly to to address and alleviate concerns. Um, I mean, that's that's another part. I mean, I suppose we have our own indigenous businesses who may or may not make decisions based on the current landscape. But the issue, I suppose, as well is for is for FDI who are from the outside these shores who are looking at the the political situation or the the issues uh, you know that we're having at the moment and saying, is that the place I want to set up shop? Yeah, well, John, it, it certainly is an issue, and I think FDI investment is important even for our local SMEs in terms of the wider flow of services that might come around that. I mean, Joseph introduced this session talking about some of the supplies that his business is making. So yeah, I, I do think it, it's part of the, there's so many aspects where, where a, a stable gov- local devolved government is important. Yeah. And, and I suppose, you know, we can look at looking ahead, I suppose the list has changed this year from, from previous years. Um, uh, Ian was saying, you know, more technology firms have, have appeared on the list this year. Other lists that we do, including our top 100, have have changed a bit over the years as well. You know, some of the larger companies are are, are sort of pushed on from the tech sector in particular. Um, just in general, if if I can ask um, each of you, where where would you see the SME sector sort of the growth points? I suppose in the coming year or two ahead, or or, or a few years ahead, in terms of the companies that make up that list. I mean, I think. From from my my perspective and from the perspective of the work with the economic and policy sector uh, center and Ulster University have have done, I think how we drive our economy forward is in some ways going to dictate the opportunities that open up as part of either startup or growth um, within the supply chain and certainly um, it increased focus on. Green energy, for example, there's going to be more opportunities there. Um, the technology sector, um, the growth in that doesn't look like it's going to um, going to slow down. Um, but then equally, um, I do a lot of work uh, and uh, in conjunction with the Northern Ireland Family Business Forum with family firms um, across the province, um, which by their very nature tend to be slower growing, but have greater propensity towards more long-term orientation. Um, so they're more likely to survive um, longer term. So also as well as part of that, we'll, we could hopefully see um, some indigenous firms on a slower growth track, but eventually um, appearing on the list too. I think, John, the point Ian's making there, I think it feeds into the fact that it just might surprise us in a year or two, the nature and the various sectors that are on the list, because I think sometimes what's perceived as a not very exciting type of sector or business is often what's the engine behind these SMEs. So although things like technology and so on are are appearing here it, you know joseph's business is a solid excellent business in a real sector that needs um 
you know, that needs all of us to focus on in terms of green credentials in the future. So I, I, I think what one of the key messages around homegrown businesses is that the ones that you don't often think of are the really important ones, the, the essential services. And, uh, you know, a lot of those can appear. Thanks, John. And um, maybe if I could step in, probably just to look at Regen itself. Regen has the recycling side of the business and the residual making a fuel. But we also have an engineering arm and that has led to a good bit of innovation. And on the back of that, the Regen Group have um, Connects. It's a bathroom pod business that we've developed in the last few years. We have Regen Robotics, which is... Um, going out to the market and these some of these some of these businesses are affected by how the economy goes but also some of them aren't so the Rogen robotics tanks need clean regardless of of how the economy is doing and we also have another engineering company that we're just setting up now to make a individual product so what i would say is the uh, i don't think the waves are big enough that will stop some of these smes developing and creating and um i think that that resilience comes from them maybe adjusting, pivoting, being agile and nearly waiting on the opportunity and then grabbing it and growing. So I think that the likes of manufacturing, I think, will still have a place, maybe not just grow as fast, but it'll probably be a good time for people to relook at their businesses, assess their costs, cut back on costs that's maybe unnecessary and maybe make them healthier. And then allows them to go again, be more efficient as things grow, and uh, maybe have given them uh, innovative ideas to move forward and create new products. So you know, sometimes, sometimes uh, extra costs coming into a business can be a good thing because it focuses the mind and gets people to um, really be as sharp as possible. So uh, I think the, one of the times when we learned most on our business was in two thousand and eight, whenever there was a downturn, banks didn't trust. Um, the it would really be um, international banking was failing and so the likes of exports was a problem so we had to learn more about our business in that time than we learned in the previous um, five years and so you know I think that maybe there might be positives come from it as well and hopefully maybe the type of people in Northern Ireland they have the resilience to work through that and actually come out better on the far side and also you'd mentioned earlier about how 90% uh, of the businesses is less than 10 employees. Of those 90%, it gives a great probability that some of them will grow to be amazing businesses in the future. And Northern Ireland is a great place with great entrepreneurial spirit to be able to drive some of those 90% of the 10 employees up into that higher bracket and make Northern Ireland a great place to, to actually be and work in. Yeah. Sorry, I was just, yeah, I was just going to come in off the back of what Joseph said. Once again, I think we have incredible calls for optimism. Um, whilst it's an uncertain time to be in business and no doubt challenging from businesses that I've spoken to and that I've known, it's been the most challenging, understandably, two years. But equally, it's um, created a lot of opportunities around um, innovation, around focusing on the core elements of the business and understanding what is profitable and what is business worth doing but also i think as well just a point on leadership of, of small firms it's caused a lot of people just to think around what leadership looks like as we go forward um emerging from the pandemic and facing challenges head on and leaders of whether it's a micro business a small medium sized business 
they deserve um, every support um, going in terms of uh, helping them to adapt and lead going forward as well. Um, thanks, everyone, very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you. You can listen to all the episodes of the Ulster Business Podcast at ulsterbusiness.com, Spotify, Apple, and SoundCloud. Thank you.